0: It's such a shame that we couldn't meet you all. Mark couldn't come here. Thank you, Mark, for doing that reading. Um, we've been married 50 years, and I love her to death. She's wonderful. But uh, you can probably tell she has a Kiwi accent. Anyway, uh, it, it, it's really good to be here, and I'm really thrilled that we could share this wonderful chapter together. Uh, It's a miracle, and and miracles are amazing, the miracles of Jesus. Uh, They weren't just like what we call little miracles that we understand and experience today, like uh, God answering prayer, which is wonderful. Little miracles happen in God's timing as we pray and seek Him. But these were amazing miracles that were just outstanding. They were uh, awe-inspiring. They were supernatural uh, like God uh, has the power through Jesus and Jesus himself to overcome and suspend natural law and uh, supersede natural law to do these miracles. And the one that we're looking at today where Jesus fed the 5,000, we read in Matthew's gospel that the uh, that was 5,000 plus women and children. So probably it was something like 20,000 people on the hillside, uh, where Jesus was and uh, the huge crowd, they came to him it says um, and he was sitting there with his disciples, they came and as they came he saw the, this multitude and he said to his disciples where are we going to buy food for all these people? But uh, John mentions at the beginning of this chapter that it, as the, it was at the time of the Passover. And it's significant because here these people had been freed from their daily chores. They were getting prepared for Passover, either to go up to Jerusalem or in their own homes. Every father would lead in the family and have a special Passover meal. And now Jesus, like a father to all the people, uh, pulls them together and has almost like a Passover meal with them. Uh, The chapter has 71 verses, so we can't do an in-depth study, of course, all the way through. But I want to look at the theme of faith because faith is a major theme through the whole book of John's gospel. And uh, you find that there's a a growing faith among his disciples, and there's a growing antagonism and opposition to Christ and a, a turning from any belief as we work through the whole uh, gospel. And so today, feeding faith. And chapter six is like a crisis of faith where in Galilee, where uh, people were brought to the point where they would choose whether to go on and continue believing in Jesus or whether they would turn back. And as we read later in the chapter, many did turn back, turn away. It started... Uh, This uh, crisis of faith started last chapter, as you saw and heard last week in chapter 5, where uh, the healing on the Sabbath caused some to stumble at, who is this Jesus doing this? And so we find today it comes to a bit of a crisis. Jesus, first of all, we see in this chapter, develops the disciples' growing faith. Uh, It was his intention in this miracle to develop their faith. And it becomes plain because he said um, to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Now, Jesus had a plan. He had a plan of what he was going to do. It says so in verse six, he said this to test him for he himself knew what he would do. We all face situations in life as individuals and as a church where we don't know what to do But he has a plan and it's wonderful to know that the Lord Jesus, who is the Lord of glory, who is in charge of all things, he's seated on the throne, he has a plan for your life, for your family, for your situation, whatever it might be uh, that you're facing right now and uh, for the church here. So we need to know that he has a plan and trust him in our daily living. And getting back to this story and this miracle, uh, he tested Philip, it says. He wanted Philip to grow in his faith. And as we are put to the test, our faith is put to the test in the difficulties that we face. That's how I come. Impossible situations force us to trust in him even more and our faith grows. And that was the point here uh, that he tested Philip and caused him to not just grow in his faith, but to grow in his appreciation of who God is and the wonder of who Christ is as the Son of God. There was a bit of a disconnect though. And it's interesting, isn't it, that Philip, his first words were, where are we going to buy this food? How, where are we going to get the money to buy this food? 200 denarii, like nine months salary, wouldn't buy enough for everyone to have a little bite. Um, and imagine going to the local McDonald's and trying to get a whole lot of food for 20,000 people. Uh, there's just no way. So it was an impossible situation. Uh, but Jesus had a plan. Also, he reveals not only did he have a plan, but he reveals his power in this. Uh, he often uses people and situations like this uh, as part of his plan. He doesn't just do something in answer to prayer. Often, he uses people. He uses Andrew and the boys' lunch. By the way, it was just a small lunch. And when we read five loaves and two fishes, we think of loaves of bread. Back then, it was uh, it was called uh, lafa or something like uh, pita bread. It was a little flat bread and probably just small little round flat bread with a couple of dried sardine type fish. That's probably what it was. And here Jesus was going to feed this multitude of people with such a small little lunch. He uses our weakness to show his power. And God always does that. And it's interesting that at the end, when they left there, The next day, they still had 12 basket loads of food left over. So that wasn't an illusion. They could look back and say, it was real. It did happen. We weren't just hoodwinked. It wasn't just some magic thing. Not only did he reveal his power, but he revealed who he was, his person. The Bible says very clearly, especially in John's gospel, the word signs are used when talking about miracles. Uh, Back at the, the chapter two where the, in Cana of Galilee, when Jesus turned water into wine, it says there, that was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. Signs, miracles were actually signposts pointing to who Jesus was and why he had come. And so at the end of John's gospel, we read that many other signs did Jesus do in the presence of his disciples, but these are recorded. These are written down so that you might believe that what? Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. They were signal signs that Jesus was who he claimed to be the Son of God. And Jesus in this chapter reveals himself as such. He calls himself the son of man in verse 27 and goes on to say on him, speaking of himself, God the Father has set his seal. What does that mean? It it means this, that back then they didn't have a signature. Uh, They had a seal. If they wanted to endorse something or authenticate something like a document, they would seal it. Today we sign. I came here today because I had a work permit that was signed by David in this church fellowship. Uh, If it wasn't signed by him and I was pulled over by a police on the way here, uh, they would say, this doesn't authenticate you to drive to the church this morning. I needed a work permit with a signature. And so here we have Jesus saying that my miracles are signs, but they're It shows that the father has set his seal on me, that he has authenticated. This is who I am, the son of God. And, And of course, the disciples came to see this and believe. And it says in verse 70, they said, we have come to know that you are the holy one of God. The second thing we learn in this chapter about faith is that Jesus discerned that the, that the crowd's faith was superficial. They were attracted to the sensational. In verse two, right at the beginning of the chapter, we find that um, they came to him. They followed him. He had just come across the lake from uh, one side to the other. And they, this huge crowd came to him. We've been there. We've sat on the hill that they say uh, was where Jesus fed the 5,000. And, uh, We've been to some of the little villages or what's left of them, the ruins of villages that date back to the time of Christ, and they're small. And so, for 20,000 people to come, they've come from all over, a massive crowd, and uh, they were attracted to him, it says in verse 2, because they saw the signs that he was doing uh, to the sick. So, he was like a celebrity. Let's go and see this man perform some more miracles. I want to see the deaf hear and the, the blind to see. I, I want to see the cripples stand up and jump and shout for joy. They were there because of the celebrity status that they saw in Jesus. Um, back in June 30, um, on, uh, in 1859, uh, Charles Blondin, uh, a famous tightrope walker, walked across uh, the Niagara Falls, which was uh, 335 metres uh, along that uh, tightrope and it was 49 metres above the falls down below. Vast crowds came out to see him and several times he went across. Sometimes he went across blindfolded. Wow. Other times he was carrying someone on his back and other times he, he took a wheelbarrow once and put a whole lot of potatoes in it and, marked, and walked the, the wheelbarrow across to the other side. And when he got to the other side, on one occasion it's recorded that he said this. He said to the crowd, do you believe that I could take one of you across in this wheelbarrow? And they said, yes, of course we do. He said, all right, well, come on, who's going to come first? And nobody put up their hand. No one stepped forward. Uh, It's one thing to believe up here. It's another to commit yourself to something. So these people who were following Jesus uh, were following him in a very superficial kind of faith. Um, Jesus spoke about this faith back at the end of chapter 2 where he said that uh, many believed in him because of the miracles that he had done. But it says in the next verse that Jesus did not believe in them. He didn't trust them because he knew what was in man. And so he knew that their hearts weren't truly committed in faith to him. And here's the evidence of it. G.H. Lang wrote, "Instead of seeing in the bread the sign, they had seen in the side sign, only the bread." In other words, they saw the miracle, but they didn't see. Through that miracle to who Jesus was, and so Jesus says in verse twenty-six, "You are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves." Also, they were attracted to the temporal satisfaction they'd received. they received; they'd got a belly full of food. In fact, it was the first miracle that they had all experienced. Other miracles they'd seen: a blind man who could see, and and a a lame man who could walk, but now they experienced the reality of it themselves. They had taken and they'd eaten so much they couldn't eat at all, and and they had to gather up twelve basket loads afterwards. And so we have here um, the the temporal satisfaction that they enjoyed. They wanted more of this, and in fact. Uh, They wanted a bread king If this is what this man can do Let's make him king And and Jesus recognised this He says in verses 14 and 15 Uh, When the people saw the sign They said this is indeed the prophet Who has come into the world And perceiving that they were About to come and take him by force To make him king Jesus withdrew The prophet Well the prophet is when Moses in the Old Testament said in Exodus that, that God will raise up another prophet like him uh, and you will listen to him speaking of Messiah. And all the Jews knew that the Messiah would be, the, that That was a prophecy about the Messiah who would come. And so they said, this indeed is the prophet. In other words, the Messiah. Uh And so Jesus recognised that it was not the kind of Messiah that he was that they were wanting, a bread king. So he withdrew immediately and would not allow them to do that. Moses had written these things and um, Jews expected at the time, they expected that when Messiah comes, he would do the kind of miracles that, that Moses did. And so Moses had provided bread from heaven. They saw Moses as having done it. Uh, but Jesus corrects them and so says, no, uh, that that is not, it wasn't Moses. It was my father who provided that. And that bread, he says twice in this chapter, uh, that bread only satisfied them briefly. And they all died anyway. The bread that I'm going to give you is the bread of life, which is, gives life to the world, eternal life. You know, it's no different today. We live in a society, in a world where it's all focused on the temporal, on the now, on the filling the stomach and, and, and uh, having uh, a career and, and having family and a home and a car and everything that goes with it. And most people, unfortunately, don't even factor in eternity. And Jesus wants us to remember that the temporal satisfaction that he may give in some way isn't going to replace the eternal, eternal life that he offers to people. And so people have dabbled in Christianity, but never really committed their their lives to him and received him as the bread of life. And they drop away because Just like these people, they wanted the temporal satisfaction, the peace or the good life that they thought that Jesus might give them. And he says to them these words, my father gives you the true bread from heaven for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not hunger And whoever believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you, you have seen me and yet you do not believe. They said, sir, give us this bread always. Does that remind you of something? Remember the woman at the well in chapter four, Uh, when Jesus talked about giving her water, she says, Oh, give it to me. So I don't have to come here and draw water all the time. In fact, all through John's Gospel, you find that Jesus uses the the temporal, ordinary, daily things to picture the truth of who he is and why he came. And so he he speaks of the temple, but he sp- applies it to himself in chapter two. He speaks of the living water in chapter four, and uh, here the bread of himself. Third, in this. Chapters we look at faith, that Jesus uh, is feeding faith and uh, showing up those who are uh, superficial in their faith, encouraging the believers, the, the disciples in their faith. We come now to Jesus describes what genuine faith really is. Peter and the apostles did not fully understand. They... they didn't have answers to everything, and yet they came to believe. Jesus said to the 12, uh, near the end of the chapter, he says, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. It's interesting isn't it he doesn't say um, we have uh, that you have the miracles of power he said you have the words of eternal life he recognized in the words of Jesus not just the miracles of Jesus uh, who Jesus really was so that's what what we see here that he revealed who he is Jesus revealed who he is in the miracle and so we have to have faith in who he is. He is the bread of life. He said, I am the bread of life, and it's the first of eight I ams in the Gospel of John. Uh, I am the light of the world, I am the door, I am the way, and so on. Uh, this is the first of these, and it's very important that we understand what Jesus is saying here. He uses a very unusual construction in the Greek. Let me explain it to you. The ordinary word for I am is ego. Like we get from, uh, we use it today, a person's got a good ego, a big ego. Our uh, Ego is the word in the Greek. And that's just I am. I am a mechanic. I am a school teacher. And there's another word in the Greek called amy, which is also I am. Like I'm a grandparent. When Jesus said I am the bread of life, and all the other I am's in this gospel. He uses both of those. He says, I am, I am the bread of life. That was a veiled but very clear reference to the name of God. If you go back to uh, Exodus chapter 3, where Moses asked God, what is his name? God said, I am who I am. And all those Jews, at that time when Jesus was speaking now to the crowd and said, I am, I am the bread of life, they would understand what he meant by that. He was claiming to be God. This is God's name and he was applying it to himself. And so, um, in fact, in the Septuagint, uh, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which was written in Hebrew, these two words are used for in, in that translation of when God said to Moses, I am who I am. So they knew. He is the bread of life. Secondly, he is, or who he is, is revealed by his father. Uh, this was something that was like Peter's confession. Remember when Peter confessed, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. What did Jesus say to him then? Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. God the Father has revealed this. That's why you believe who I am. And this chapter is full of references to the Father revealing who Jesus is to those who have faith. He says in verse 36 You have seen me, and yet you do not believe, he says to the fake disciples. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will not cast out. The genuineness of their faith will be tied to the fact that the Father has moved in their hearts and opened their eyes to the truth. Verses 45 to 50 says, No one can come to me unless the Father who has sent me draws him, and I will raise him up in the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. He says in verse 62, do you take offense at this? Then what if, I were to, uh, if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? He was clearly portraying the truth that he is God the Son, that he had come from heaven. And that's the next point. He says in verse uh, 32 it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He's the bread from heaven. And he says, goes on in verse 51 to say, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. So it's, it's like he is the manifestation of God come to give life to the world and he uses the idea of bread that he had fed the people with to illustrate who and why he came. So he revealed who he he is, but also what he came to do. So the faith, genuine faith, is faith in what he he came to do, not just who he is. He came to give life. He is the bread of life. So he says, you will never hunger. Reminds you of chapter 4 again, where uh, he will say, you will never thirst to the woman at the well. And he also says, you will never lose this life that I'm going to give you. It's eternal. And the security of a Christian, the believer, is, is embedded in these verses that if God the Father has called us and we've drawn us and we've come to Christ and we've put our faith in him and we've received the bread of life, we've trusted in him and committed our lives to him, then he will raise us up in the last day we are assured of our salvation. And we read that all that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. I'll never uh, do anything that will cause them to turn away. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. By the way, eternal life is... Another way of saying God's life. God's life. He is eternal. So he revealed what he had come to do. And so we have to have faith in not just that who he is, but why he came, what he came to do. And so he revealed what we must do then in the last bit of this uh, chapter. He, He reveals what we have to do in order to receive that eternal life. Uh, How did the multitude benefit from the meal that he had provided for them? There was no benefit if they just held it in their hands. They had to actually take the bread and eat it. They had to appropriate it and uh, gain the benefit by eating. And so he says, I am the bread of life and you have to receive me just like that. So how do we receive eternal life? Verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The word eat there is in another Greek thing. I'm sorry about this, but it's important. It's in the aorist tense, which means that once and for all you eat. It's not like eating all the time or eating, eating regularly at a communion or something like that. It's taking him and receiving him once and for all and the benefits of that last forever. Keep on going. It's the aorist tense, which is really important. So he says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man. He doesn't say the body. When, we, when he uh, instituted the Lord's Supper later on uh, in this book and in the Gospels, he said, this is my body which is given for you. And this is my blood. This, these emblems represent uh, my body given and my blood shed on your behalf. But here he says flesh. And the word flesh is the, if you like, the sacrificed flesh, the sacrificed body of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. It sounds weird, but what it's saying is that he anticipated the cross where he would die in our place for our sins and his sacrifice on the cross, his body given, his blood shed there, is the means whereby we can have eternal life. So it's not just faith in who he is and why he came, but faith in him by receiving him. To all who received him, who believed in his name, he became, they became children of God. So it says, I'm the living bread, Jesus says, that came down from heaven if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Have you eaten of that bread? Uh, you might belong to this church or you might be listening in on, online and uh, you are a Christian in the sense that you belong to a church or you, you've been brought up as a Christian. But have you actually eaten of the bread? Have you received Christ? Have you made a personal commitment to take him into your life as your Lord and Savior? And he says, that's what you must do. Bread here represents his flesh, his sacrifice for us. It's a metaphor. Just like Jesus said, I'm the door. We don't say, well, what does he mean? I'm a door. He, he's representing the way into the fold in that chapter um, by saying, I'm the door. Um, here he's saying, I'm the bread. And the only way to benefit from the bread is to actually eat it. What needs to be eaten? It means to appropriate to yourself the value of the sacrificed body and shed blood of Christ given as an atoning sacrifice. True faith involves a personal appropriation of the value of the sacrificed body and the poured out blood of Christ given as an atoning sacrifice. I ask you, if you have never done that, to do that today. To not just believe who he is. That's important. He's the son of God. That he came to give life. Believe that. But receive him. Trust him. Invite him to come into your heart and to be your saviour and Lord and to live his life through you by means of his spirit. God bless you all.